you know, you're going to look it up anyway. Like if a reader is, is reading a recipe in a cookbook, doesn't know how to do something, the first thing you're going to do is open up your phone and go on Google and pull up a YouTube video about how to do it. So I'm like, why don't I just make this easy for you and put the video right in there for you? You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. I've long been a fan of author and creative thinker Molly Boz, and many of you have too. With a signature voice and wild recipe development skills, as well as years of professional cooking under her belt, Molly has won over millions of fans worldwide. Her book, Cook This Book, was a New York Times bestseller, and we talk about some of the many things she's been up to since the release a little over a year ago. We find out about her move from New York to the West Coast, and what it was like growing up in New York's Hudson Valley. Lastly, we talk about a new book in the works, which will be dropping very soon. I really love this conversation with Molly Boz. Welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, I'm excited to get catch up with you. It's been, I think I talked to you about a year ago and, and a lot has happened. But like the club, like yo, like the club is like club. a huge success. It's really <laughs> fun. It's full of energy and life. But it also seems like it's so much freaking work. It is so much freaking work. Um, <laughs> but it's like my freaking job, you know? <laughs> um, the club, Definitely. yeah, the club is my um membership only recipe club it's like the only place in the world really where new molly boz recipes exist um after i left bon appetit i had to think long and hard about like where is my content gonna live now because i don't have a platform for it and i didn't love the idea of it being just on instagram because i wanted it somewhere more permanent um and I also wanted it in a place where I could like build a little community around it. And so I, that's why I started the club. Um, and so it's basically like a newsletter, but it's a recipe club. Um, and I actually recently sort of like redesigned and revamped the whole thing. So it was once on mm-hmm. uh, Patreon and I didn't love that because I like to really be in control of how things look and like kind of the world I'm creating for around me and for our community. And so I ended up, Porting off of Patreon and onto my own website. So now it's like, it's fun. It like feels like an actual like editorial site where you like, if you join and you sign into the club, you have like the whole archive with all of the recipes and you can like search it the way you would any other food website. Um, but it's just like all the content that I've been creating since I launched it like a year and a half ago. Yo, so cool. It's like, it's like a full, it feels like a real Condé Nast, like timing publication. Like it's not just Patreon, like respect to that. And I like that you do like giveaways too. That seems very exciting. Yeah. I want like, I I want it to be, to feel like it had more value than just like, oh, here's a recipe a week. And so there are other elements to it. Like, like you mentioned, we do, I do a monthly giveaway. So I have relationships at so many food brands just from being in the industry. And they're always like, so thrilled to and so generous to um with like sharing their product with the club so like for example this month um my friends over at KitchenAid who I've worked with several times in the past are just are just giving away three stand mixers to the club like just like yeah. three people at random will be chosen from the club and they'll receive KitchenAid stand mixers which are like which is like such an expensive item that is like such a splurge yeah. and um so fun for people to be able to to participate in that but then also 
there's other elements of it, I think, that like make it feel a little bit more food publication-y, which is that I I have um I host like guest chefs in the club. And so I it's not actually just Molly recipes anymore because that felt a little bit um tunnel vision-y to me. And so I um about once a month or so bring, you know, some of my industry friends and people that I look up to who are also recipe developers into the club to do guest recipes. Um, so that's been really fun. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about a straight away because I think it's really cool that you're, uh, you know, you've left your, you know, your job at BA and you've done cookbooks, but you're, you're like running your own business and it's, it's really high quality and it's hard. I mean, what's it like running your own business? Um, it's like way more work than it was, uh, working for someone else. I will say that. Yeah. It's also, uh, I think way more gratifying for me. Um, and I really could not do it if not for my manager who, um, is basically just like my second in command and like keeps my shit together with me. Um, I didn't have a manager when I first launched myself out into the world on my own and it was a real shit show. Um, and so it's, it's really thanks to like all the people around me who helped make it all happen. But, um, but it's, you know, what it's like, it's like, um, creating, having a to-do list that is 27 (laughs) items long every day and not feeling overwhelmed by that because otherwise you crumble and it's over. Yeah. You have to like compartmentalize. I know the feeling it's, it's, but I, I like that you say it's gratifying because I think when you take control of your destiny and you, you, you start your own business, um, you're taking a risk, but you also, there's a huge payoff. So totally. And I think like what's so exciting about it and what also makes it so much work is that like, there is no ceiling and there's no limit to what I can do. Whereas when I worked for Condé Nast and there was like, I was working within the confines of that company and I was in a contract and there were limitations to what I was able to do outside of the, my job description. And now it's like, I, no one, no one, I make my own job description I make my own limitations. And so if I want to launch another brand or launch a wine company, which we can talk about later, I can just do that. And that is really, really empowering. It's, it's a very different feeling. And I think I really thrive off of that. So when we talked last, we talked about your cookbook, which had just been released. And in a, right away, I was like, yo, QR codes in a cookbook, you know, you did it right. I, I thought it was really exciting. And I wanted to follow up on that because in hindsight now that there's been, it's been out a year, are you finding those QR codes? Do people actually use them in your book? And would you put them in future books? Yeah, I thought I actually, when um, I knew I was going to come on here, I did a little bit of research to look at the stats and how those were doing recently. And um, I think it's been a big success. I I think in the last like three or four weeks, there's been 5,000 views on the QR codes. Granted, there are probably only like 18 QR codes in the book that, you know, represent 18 really fundamental techniques. And so for me, that means like 5,000 people learned how to do something in the last month that they didn't know how to do, mm-hmm. which is so awesome. Um, and I've also heard that since since my book came out, a bunch of cookbooks are now in the pipeline that have incorporated QR codes that are not yet out yet because, of course, the publishing um, circuit takes mm. a couple Glacial. of years. Glacial. Yeah. <laughs> um, but 
uh, yeah, I'm excited to see that like it's having an impact on the industry and that other people are now going to incorporate technology into cookbooks because why not? I mean, it's like, it's 2022. Why would we not integrate those two things? It seems silly almost not to. No, it seems silly. And like you always have your phone by your side and, and if you're reading and you're cooking and you just want to learn how to, you know, do a quick technique. You know, you're going to look it up anyway. Like if you, if a reader is in a cook, is reading a recipe in a cookbook, doesn't know how to do something, the first thing you're going to do is open up your phone, go on Google and pull up a YouTube video about how to do it. So I'm like, why don't I just make this easy for you and put the video right in there for you? Do you have the pang for a next book? Do you feel, do you have that like little feeling inside that you want to do another book? Uh, oh, it is well underway. Um, it's okay, more than good. a feeling. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's a lifestyle. <laughs> um, yes, I am about uh, three quarters of the way through writing my second book. Um, it's due in a couple of months. I just shot the first half of all the recipes last week, actually. So my house was fully taken over by a camera crew. And um, it's really crazy and mind blowing to like see it all happen again. I just I don't know how I got here. I don't know where the time went. I don't know how I'm doing it again. I especially don't know how I even have like any ideas left inside me. because I feel like I gave so much to the last book. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have more to say, like, who knew? Um, and so, yeah, I'm very, very excited about the second one. I feel like I worked out the kinks of the first, I learned a lot and this one's going to be stellar. So what do you, what can you tell us about the actual recipe development? Like, are there, or is there one recipe that was like your grail in the recipe de- development process that you like, I nailed this one at least now? Give it, us a little bit of preview. In the new book? Yeah. I'll, I'll say there's one recipe that took, oh, at a minimum, 18 passes at, like 18 different <laughs> tests. And for whatever reason, um, I just decided not to abort mission, which normally I would. I, I don't want to give too much away about the concept of the book because I haven't actually like announced it to the world yet. But um, I think what's been really cool about the this book is like the way it's it's forced me to look at ingredients in new ways and that we that will be more clear sort of when it all comes out. But yeah, I mean the the recipe development process was I think a lot easier this time than it was the first time and I think that's mostly because the first time around I was working on my recipes at the end of the day, after coming home from a full-time job in the test kitchen at Bon Appetit. And so I would have to then return to my tiny apartment kitchen in Brooklyn and make a whole ass mess again all night long after having done it all day long. And now it like the book feels more sort of like integrated into like my daily life, which I, which like, I'm really enjoying that I'm like able to really like live it day in and day out. Yeah. It'll, it'll show in the book. I can't wait to, to have you back and talk about it. Yeah. You grew up in upstate New York. Let's talk about, I live in uh, like Hudson Valley-ish area myself. You do? I, um, Where are you? I do. I live in Orange County. Oh, I live, my gosh. Uh, yeah, I moved uh, a couple of years ago and I, but I'm in the city. Uh, we're recording this now from Midtown, but I want to know about upstate life. Like, what was it like growing up? Uh, what were you eating? What was, what was it like? What was your oh life like? Oh my gosh. Um, it was bucolic and idyllic and not necessarily the upstate or the Hudson Valley that you that we all know now today Mm -hmm. like when I was growing up it wasn't like a destination place 
there. I grew up um, in like the Red Hook Rhinebeck area in the Hudson Valley, which is um, very close yeah. to the campus of Bard College. And so like my community and my family's community was very much built around um, the community at Bard. And so I grew up, you know, all my family friends were very like liberal and eccentric and artistic and creative. Um, but it wasn't like the foodie destination that it is now. And also like, I don't, I just think like food culture was a different thing back then. Like we didn't fetishize food culture the way we do now, um, when I was growing up. And so it wasn't even really like on my parents' radar to like think outside the box or seek things out, like seek delicious things out that are like, that were from upstate. And so I ate in a very plain way growing up, um, mm -hmm. which is so funny to think about now because now my parents are like so integrated into food culture, just like because of me and what I do that like we mm. eat really well and, and we eat interestingly and we like seek things out. But when growing up, like I think the meal that was, most often served on my table was either, you know, like just breaded chicken cutlets with, um, f with frozen yeah. or steamed peas and a glass of milk or like a meatloaf or buttered noodles and meatballs. Like it was really, really simple food. And it, it just, our, our family did life did not revolve around it. And so my life now just revolves around it in such an intense way that it's sort of like crazy to me that that, that wasn't a part of my upbringing. Did you teach your mom or your, your, your when your your family have you have you taught them some some moves? You said that it's you were kind of like the gateway drug to, to foodieism, and it sounds like yeah. it's a very common story. It's like a younger generation passing on totally. foodie, and I'm I'm embracing the term foodie, so just shout out to that. I'm yeah. just going there. But we love a foodie. I, I feel like <laughs> love a foodie, but like, is there something that you that you taught them like when you were working in kitchens? Yeah, my dad especially like really took to food and cooking. When I did, I I spent um, a semester abroad in Italy, which we may have talked about on the last pod, but um, which was kind of where I had this like come to Jesus moment was like, oh my God, I need to cook. Like that's my life's calling. And I came back from Italy, was living with my parents over the summer. And my dad and I just got so into Tuscan cooking after, after that trip. And he like really, he, something that's really amazing about him is that he will like really take on his children's interests and like immerse himself in them. And so, um, he got really into Tuscan cooking and he sort of like follows that he follows like what I'm cooking. And he's always sending me articles that he's reading in the New York times about like whatever new up and coming fun things are happening in food and trying out new recipes. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's different now than it was that I feel like all of our eyes have had have been opened a bit to like what food can provide. And so he's right, right there with me. That's pretty rad. Now back to your upbringing. Did you make it down to New York uh, city when you're young? And did you have any like restaurant experiences when you were young that like you still think about like, wow, that I was like 18 or younger. I, there. I, I did go to the city a lot when I was young. My grandfather lived there. Um, he lived on the Upper East Side and the only restaurant, the restaurant experience that like sticks with me the most was, was some, and I don't know what it is, what, which one it was anymore. French bistro that was like down below his apartment or on the block or around the corner. And we used to go there all the time. And at that point, I just thought like French food was everything, you know, like <laughs> just going into a French restaurant felt like 
the biggest splurge, the biggest sort of like treat out of my element because like no one was making French food at my home. And like, even just like, you know, going into like one of those classic kind of like brasserie vibes where there's mm-hmm. like um, Toulouse-Lautrec like artwork on the walls <laughs> and everything. Like I it, it felt like in New York, I was able to like immerse myself in food cultures that I couldn't upstate. And so I just remember like being really sort of like captivated by this French bistro where I'm sure I had like, you know, French onion soup and uh, Mm -hmm. and a croque madame. Steak au poivre. Yeah, like the classics, which now are are like maybe not as impressive to me, but like were at the time for me just like absolutely everything. I mean, talk about people watching too. Like you're you're transplanted into like the Upper East Side into a bistro below your your grandfather's house. I mean, yeah, that couldn't be more different. That's like extra New York. Yeah. (laughs) I grew up, I mean, when I say bucolic, like, Really, we are at, we live, I grew up at the end of a dead end road. Like there's a big, beautiful, like pasture that you drive by on the way there with like one enormous single oak tree in the middle and like rolling hills. I'm telling you, like it was not urban at all where I grew up. No. Oh, I I live. I mean, did you live near Tivoli at all? Yes. Do you ever go to Hotel Tivoli? Oh, yes, of course. Hotel Tivoli. And there was, I don't know, we used to go to the Black Swan growing up, which was like the dive yeah. bar in town in Tivoli. And yeah, Tivoli is great. Yeah, Tivoli has a new a performance center, Kotzban, which I just went to this past summer. Oh, yeah, my really parents dope. go all the time. It's really cool. So yeah, this is like tourism board for uh, for, your, for for uh, for upstate yeah, Red Hudson Hook. Yeah, Valley. <laughs> Um, but still, like, I want to talk about transitioning over to your move to LA because you moved during the pandemic and how are you finding it? You're like an East coast kid. Like what was that move like? And are you, do you have a lot of friends now? Is it, is it hard to move to the West, to West coast? Okay. So let me tell you the story of, um, my transition out to LA because it kind of contextualizes it all. The week that the pandemic really hit and everyone started to work from home, uh, at least in America, was I think in early March of 2020. Yeah. And I got the email from from Condé Nast that was like, everybody's been ordered to stay home. Your work, We're going to work from home until further notice. Like, we have no idea what the hell is happening out here, but stay safe. No one get on the subway. Don't come to work. And my husband had uh, flown to Palm Springs for a vacation with his family just like three days prior when it was like, there was like murmurings of the pandemic, but like no one really expected it to like shut the world down, you know? And so he just proceeded to to go on his family vacation in Palm Springs. So I got the email and it was like, stay home until further notice. And I was living at the time in an apartment building in um, Greenpoint that where there was like 50 units. And I started to kind of freak out. Like I was like, my husband's not here. I have to stay home alone. What if like he can't get on a plane back to me? Because what if like no one's allowed to leave or travel? And then in order to get into my building, I got to go into an elevator. And there's like a lot of other people. What if I get this COVID thing that like, it was just, I was like, very felt very sort of like out of sorts and decided like, just in that moment, like, fuck it, I'm getting on a plane, I'm going to meet my husband. Because like, whatever happens, I want us to be in the same place. What if we get you know, strewn apart from one another for months. And so I was like, Hey babes, I'm coming. Like, I'm going to get on the plane. I'm bringing tuna or dog. And like, I'm just going to come out there and vacation with you guys. Cause I'd rather be in Palm Springs in a pandemic than New York. And (laughs) 
wise move, yeah. Molly, wise and move. Then our, our week vacation ended and we were supposed to go home. And after that week, it was clear that like it was, was very unsafe to get on a plane. And so we decided, let's just extend our stay. But by a week or two, we found an Airbnb in Joshua Tree in the desert that felt like safe because it was completely remote. There was no one around. We were like, let's post up here a couple of weeks. We did that. Two weeks went by. Things did not let up, as we all know. We extended our stay for another two weeks. We ended up living in the desert for almost three months. My gosh. And Dang. at which point we were, you know, fully in the pandemic and uh, and we hadn't seen a soul or spoken to a soul. Like we were just isolated in the desert. And I was like, this is getting weird. Let's go to LA. Seems like very, very, very like kind of jarring to go from Greenpoint to like living in the desert. And yeah, you didn't even have Happy like, Harriet's to hang out at. All, we left all of our belongings at home. Like I literally had like my bathing suit and like a few things for the week for my vacation. So we decided to go to LA because I had family there. And I was like, let's go see some family and like in a safe way as much as we can, but like at least be around civilization. And so then we transported our bags to LA and rented a an Airbnb in LA for a couple of weeks and that turned into a couple of months. And then one day a friend of ours was like, you need to look at this house and we, who's in real estate. And we were like, okay. Cause we were just like curious about, you know, like real estate out here. And she took us to see it. And I was like, that's our house. And we bought the house and never ever went home. And so (laughs) I hired a moving company to go into my apartment in Greenpoint and pack all of our things up. Like there was dirty dishes. No shit, really? Yeah, yeah. like laundry in the machine, like shit all over the floor. Just like I walked out of that apartment so fast. I was like, get me out of here, this pandemic. And didn't walk back into it ever again. And so they shipped it all out here and we've lived here ever since. Have you even been back to New York? I have now, like since, yeah. you know, I, I went back like a but, year ago or whatever. Um, but yeah, it but was a lot, it was like no. maybe a year and a half before I went home and I love it out here. I mean, I have always, I think like given off some kind of LA energy because whenever people meet me, they're like, they assume I'm from LA, which is strange because I grew up in upstate New York, very, very different place, but for whatever yeah, reason, definitely. that's the vibration they get. And I had been sort of like toying with the idea of like, will I ever live in LA for so long? It it felt like it forced something that was like deep within me for a long time. And I love it here. Like the light, I like the lifestyle. I like the, we have so much more space and we breathe clean air. And like, I, as corny as it is, like I am more in touch with nature than I was in New York, which wasn't even on my radar. And I live in, I live in Altadena, which is like very far out, like up in the mountains. We have a, we have a bear that comes to our house like three or four times a week and just like walks down our front steps and like gets in our garbage. Like we out here and it is just. Yeah. You are out there. Yeah. Uh, I got to ask you Palm Springs question. Do you ever go to Billy Reed's the pie spot, the pie and and diner? Do you ever go there? No, but do I need to know about it? Cause I am going out in a couple of weeks. Oh, you have to go to Billy Reed's. Yeah, the, Billy, and ask for Billy. He's the most wonderful man. 
Uh, and he's how have I never heard of that? I've been there so many times. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's not on like the Coachella hit list. Not that you're hitting that. I'm not assuming that, but it's like a little it's an established old. It's like walking into a restaurant in like 1984. Oh, my God. It's so great. It's really great. And the pies, I think, are excellent. I I highly recommend it. Billy Reads, I'll I'll email you the info. It's great. And I feel Cecil, too, is pretty dope there. I have to, you know, shout out to Cecil, Bar Cecil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't wait to go. I'm so excited. I love that. I love how Palm Springs feels like it's like caught in time. It's like in the 70s. Yeah. Um, what about L.A., though? Let's talk about, let's do a scene check. Like, what's happening there? I, I feel like Combi's about to open on the west side. Akira's always posting stuff. Yeah. Like, I have to ask you, like, what's what's happening in the city? And then we'll talk about wine. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm like pretty behind the times when it comes to LA, like food and restaurants, because for the first year that I was out here, no restaurants were open or they were only doing takeout. And I, and I kind of like made a rule that I was like, I'm not going to go try all these iconic spots like in, via takeout. Like, let's just wait till they're, yeah. they're back open. And so even though I've been here for, I don't know, almost years, I have only I've only like started to scratch the surface of all of the like kind of iconic restaurants that are out here that everyone um, always talks about. So it's kind of exciting for me because I, I, I feel like even though I've been here for a while, like the food scene and the culinary scene here is like there's so much to discover for me still in terms of restaurants. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've heard about Found Oyster, which is like maybe my favorite place on the planet which is just the best like uh, seafood spot in LA. And there's actually not a lot of seafood here, which I think is funny and interesting given how close we are to the, uh, to the coast. But um, Found Oyster is such a special little gem of a spot right in the middle of the city. So we go there a lot. What else? We, we've done like the, the classic like taco tour, uh, like hit up all the joints because that's like so new and fresh to me. Like in New York, I never ate tacos. I ate like if I, if it was like a late night bite for me, it was a slice of pizza most of the time. Or it was like, I'm going into a bodega and I'm like raiding the potato chip shelf. But here it's like, uh, I've eaten so many tacos since getting here. We've, we've gone to Boyle Heights several times and like, we try to use the lists that are out there and then like kind of go rogue also, because I find oftentimes that the lists are like overhyped and like, things get you know spots get on the list and then like everybody goes there and and there's like places that are like just as amazing down the street there's this one place called um tacos arandinos which is like right in boyle heights that just has the most delicious al pastor tacos um that we whenever we're in the area we go to where else have i been going oh my gosh i went recently this is not a new restaurant this is not like new on the scene but like so classic and iconic um, you've got to go next time you're here. It's called the Smokehouse. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. Where is that? Okay, so that it's one. in Burbank, and it's a like old school American steakhouse um, that is like completely untouched. And yeah, the sounds like Burbank. Sounds like over there. Yeah, yeah. the like you know the clientele is like eighty plus, and yeah, yeah. you know sidecar martinis, like the whole thing. There's live music. The food is like a a five or six out of 10, but the vibes are like 7 million out of 10. And so like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've like, it's like Palm it's been, Springs. Yeah. It's a Palm Springs yeah. vibe. So I've been going, we've been going yeah. there a lot with big groups of friends, which is so fun. Um, I really never get to the West side, unfortunately, um, which I guess is such a boring classic LA story, but I live so far East that like, 
it really is like going. Yeah, it's a real hike to go west of the 405. Yeah, it's, I'm sure there's it's a couple of hours. It's like a it's a big commitment. <laughs> um, but I'm yeah, I'm yeah. still kind of like getting getting through my list of everything. There's a, a place in Silver Lake that opened up recently called Bar Maruno that I really want to check out, which is like mm-hmm. Spanish tapas, tinned fish, natty wine spot. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's so much. I feel like my list is so long and it's very exciting to be so fresh here. And I love it. I always hit up LA Taco for my uh, my, my intel for tacos. I feel like that's yeah, always yeah, my... Of course. I go straight to those guys. A great source. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your launching a wine club called Drink This Wine um, with uh, Andy Young, which I yes. know a BA favorite, Andy Young. Yes. Yeah. So that so okay. So it's not a wine club. It's a wine company. Great. Great. Oh so wow. Lo- let let's let's like for real. Let's step back and say, yo, that's that's bigger than a club. <laughs> it's yeah. a company, not a club. We're we're starting a company. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love yeah, it. Yeah. So great. I'm launching a wine label. Basically, um, it's with Andy Young of the Marigny, which um, probably many of the listeners here will know or recognize the his wines. Um, Andy is like an OG. Portland natural winemaker who I met at while working at Bon Appetit. He was sort of like the natural winemaker darling of um, all of our events. And so he was always around and always sending us wine. And um, we we got to know each other a little bit there and then stayed in touch and um, have just been uh, sort of like friends ever since and just chatting and talking and I love drinking wine and he loves making wine and we get along so well. And, and so just over the last like year and a half or so, we kind of decided like, let's start a new wine company together. He's, you know, he wants to, he's excited about a new venture. Um, he's, you know, the Marigny will still exist, but, um, he'll be focusing a lot of his efforts on our company, which is called drink this wine. And it's going to start small and then we're going to get bigger and um, everything is going to be like fresh and vibrant and, and juicy. And I think that um, what's so exciting about it for me is that Andy is a winemaker. Um, He's like my partner in this business is he's so in tune with food and flavor. And the first thing that he did when we like started talking about what's a, what is like a Molly wine that we could make together was he, he just dove into my cookbook Mm -hmm. and started cooking all of the recipes and, and like the way that he made our wine and conceived of it was like basically just like based on this feeling that he got when, when he cooked through my book and like, he tried to draw inferences from like the way that I use flavor and seasoning and herbs and brightness and whatever, and apply that to our wine. And so it really feels like this, this first drop that we're doing is a, it's a chillable red wine. It's like a mm. very light, easy drinking red. And it, it, it tastes like me. Like, I don't know how else to say it, but it's like, you can tell that the winemaker just like thought about the food that it's going to get paired with, which is the food that I cook. And it's just so delicious. So I'm very, very excited. It's so spiritual when you're making wine, you have to have a, you know, you have to have an altar. You have to like think of your reference points. It's either nature or it's the country of origin. And, and it feels like his mood board is your book and, and you, and you know, it's authentic. Like I, I think uh, natural wine, there's a lot to be said about like the marketing of it. And some of it might, come off as disingenuous, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like it's clearly a vision of doing one chilled red to launch and having 
a really clear focus that it's your wine. It, it's like a Molly wine. That's that's kind of cool. I like that. It's really special. Like I, yeah. I, I feel so blessed to work with someone as creative and artistic as him. And I'm so excited to share it with the world. Dope. So uh, ho- hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, it will be out there in the world. Although Def. I'm a little unclear on the date still. Yeah, we'll figure it out. It'll be <laughs> it'll be up. Um, okay, you do a sandwich podcast. Like good job. That's fun. Tell me. So fun. We love to have fun. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like you need fun with these things. Like I'm hoping we're having fun here. I mean, tell me like, is there a sandwich that you do not want to talk about? I just have to go like to that side of the coin because you're going to, you have an infinite amount of sandwiches, but is there one that you just like, we can't talk about that one? Um, There's a sandwich that I think is like so up for debate, whether it belongs on the sandwich podcast that like, that it has not been, it is not one that we addressed. And, and yet it feels like so strange not to address it. And that is the burger. Yeah. And so you could have obviously an entire podcast about a burger. It could be the burger show. There is the burger show in fact. Um, but, but also for me, it's like a burger is a sandwich and I'm, and I'm sorry to anyone who thinks that it's not, but it's between two slices of bread and it, and it's not something that we've been able, that we were able to tackle on the podcast because the topic just felt too magnanimous. It's like, how do you even talk about a burger when there are infinite versions of a burger? Whereas like talking about, you know, a BLT, there's like, there there's more um parameters around it mm-hmm. and there are less like versions of it in the world and so it's easier to sort of like hone in on what is a blt and how do we like conceive of our perfect version of it does a blt need an l a lettuce yeah does it need it oh oh of course for me oh my god the blt for me is like all about the interplay of fatty and fresh and so without the lettuce or without the tomato, which I think everyone will agree is not unnegotiable. Like yeah. there is nothing to cut through the copious amounts of mayonnaise that should be on yeah. there and the fatty crispy bacon. Like it's 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 cutting all of the fat with all of the acidity and freshness, and that's what makes like your mouth just pop when you eat one. So, totally yes, love to that L. one. And yeah. No to the avocado for me. Yeah, me too. I think it's too much. You you gotta like it's embrace the avocado and have it. Um, you know, it has its own place in foods and sandwiches. Put on a torta. You know, yeah. Put on a piece totally. of toast, or um, like on a turkey sandwich, like yeah. where 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 added fat is is welcomed. Uh, mayonnaise of choice for the BLT. Is there is there are you best foods now that you're west of the Mississippi or or west of the Rockies? I guess it is. Or are you some? I'm other... a yeah. I'm a best foods person. I mean, I love QP mayo. Yeah. Um, but I actually find on a BLT that it can be like pretty intense. Like bacon is already so like umami and savory, yeah. and then QP is also that. And so for me. Um, best foods, which I grew up on Hellman's, which is the, I guess, East coast version of best foods. And that's for me is kind of like the gold standard, like blank slate mayonnaise. Uh, and so I actually made a BLT two days ago and I used uh, best foods mayo and it was fucking perfect. The perfect choice. I love that. Do you do anything to tomatoes? Do you pickle? Do you add a little bit of salt? Or are you just going straight? I salt. Okay, so I slice them super thick. I, I've been like right. getting into the concept of like a one inch thick tomato because my mind yeah. BLT is actually a tomato sandwich. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and there's a there's a bacon condiment on it, but it's not the other way around. <laughs> and so a really really thick slice of tomato, which I then lay out on paper towels and season with salt and sherry vinegar. So I like for it to be like 
a little bit brightened up and a little bit acidic yep. again because there's so much fat in that sandwich. And then those go straight on to the sandwich. Really fun. Well, you clearly love sandwiches. I love this. The show's great. I, lo- I love listening to what you guys come up with each episode. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. A couple more. Are you getting any fall cookbooks? We're, we're talking fall cookbooks around here. It's August, of course. Is there anything that is, is kind of jumped out that you've received early advances for? So I haven't received any early advances. Um, Yo, which, what's up with that? Which I think is strange, um, but also like I've moved around so much in the yeah. last uh, year. I lived like in six places before we moved into our house that I have to imagine there are cookbooks mm-hmm. flying around out there. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I've been kind of paying attention to what's up and coming. I... Actually, just a few days ago, I pre-ordered the Black Power Kitchen Cookbook by Ghetto Gastro, which I am very excited about. Have you had them on? Uh, I feel like uh, Malcolm, who is formerly from Ghetto Gastro, um, Malcolm Livingston and I were, were 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 tight. He was cool, but I haven't had the the the, the authors of this book. No, I need to get them on. You should have them on. Um, I haven't obviously seen the book yet, except for sort of like the preview yeah. and stuff that I saw online. But it looks really visually stunning, and I think that. I just love the way they they like look at food through culture and it's like it's so multi-dimensional and disciplinary and um the book itself just looks really stunning so I'm excited for that one I think it comes out in October um and then the other one that I'm very excited about just like selfishly because I live so far away is the Via Corota cookbook um because it's one of my favorite restaurants in New York City and sadly I don't get to go there anymore um, and so being able to cook those recipes all the way over here in LA feels like it's going to be such a treat. So those are the two that I'm kind of like really excited to receive in the mail in a couple of months. I feel like Via Corota, like book there, like if you're coming to New York, you got a book there. It's so, so good. Yeah. You got um, it. You got to go. You have to go. Do you miss like having an office and your, your friends at BA? I mean, you guys were so tight. I mean, you were such a crew. There's such energy there. Do you like miss yeah, that, that energy? I do. Oh my gosh, I do. Um, so much. So I miss, I mean, obviously just like friends. They were yeah, my friends first sure. and foremost. And so um, it's weird to not be with your friends every day any longer. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when we were all just like apart in the pandemic, but more so just I miss the creative energy that mm. that that a test kitchen can um, foster. And I now do all of my recipe development for the club and for my cookbooks and everything in a vacuum in my in my home by myself. And um, thankfully, I have people around me that um, I can like bounce ideas off of. I work closely with my friend Nora Singley. She helps me on some of the recipe development. And that's super helpful. And my husband is always around. But like, Mm-hmm. There's no replacement for a kitchen full of inspired, excited cooks who are all busy cooking together and you're all like tasting each other's food yeah. and shooting the shit and like talking about it. like I felt like my food was was made so much better just by the like creative energy around me. And so that's something I miss so much. And I'm kind of trying to figure out how to foster in my in my work life now that. I work alone in my home. Yeah. It's, um, it's also just shooting the shit about where you've been dining out and like what you've been everything. seeing. It's like being in the mix and like maybe it's a New York thing too. I mean, you could start your own test kitchen. I mean, I just feel uh, getting to know a lot of uh, the folks from BA or knowing many beforehand. It was a really special crew and you guys really 
did something unique in terms of generating interest in, in food and cooking. Like, it, I mean, there will be plenty written about it in the future, you know, annals yeah. of, of history. It was, I think it was such a moment in time. And yeah. there was something, yeah, there was something really special um, about it all. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that I got to meet all the wonderful people that work there and I'm in touch with many of them still. So as even though they're not in my kitchen every day, which I wish they were, I feel like, you know, they're friends for life. And um, it was such a special experience in some ways. Yeah, definitely. There'll be a documentary. Someone's going to do it. Someone's going to do yeah. it. <laughs> Someone's going to do it. Um, Molly, we asked all guests on the Taste podcast, if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of budget, meaning you have unlimited money, or the burden of time, meaning you don't have a deadline, you could take 10 years, you could take 15 years, what would that cookbook be? I have thought a lot about this, and I think at this current moment, it would be a sandwich cookbook that looked at sandwiches through a global lens. Like, if I had no budget and had all the time in the world, I would trot the globe and I would try to understand like what makes a sandwich a sandwich in cultures that are not America. I feel like I have a really like good grasp on like what is and what is not a sandwich here. And, but there are so many versions of a sandwich in the world and so many that we weren't able, we, we did not focus on in our podcast because our podcast was focused on the American classics. But like some of my favorite sandwiches are from places outside of America, like, you know, the a falafel or a kati roll or a, katsu sandwich like there's so many incredible sandwiches in the world and so if I had all the time and the money in the world I would buy a one-way ticket around and I would just trot the globe and eat sandwiches in every little corner of the world and bring them all together into like one big tome of sandwich uh culture love that Molly I feel like um it would be so fun to like actually get to hear your thoughts on some of these like to actually get your quick takes on some of these places and and some of these sandwiches it would be really interesting to see how you like discovered new ways to sandwich i'm i'm yeah i'm, I'm following this i'm following this okay okay well if anyone out there wants to um <laughs> sponsor me to the unlimited budget and unlimited time i am all about it <laughs> i mean get on that private private that hellman's private plane i mean come on exactly let's do this <laughs> Molly Baz, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to speak with you. Eliza Barbanel, welcome back. We are doing our three things. We've not named it anything. We're still calling it three things. I, th I think it's good. It's what it is. It's three things. Three things we like. So what's your first thing? Well, I was just in Los Angeles uh, where I grew up and... Um, doing what I always do, which is trying to go to all of the new restaurants that I've been following on Instagram and then seeing how it feels like to actually sit there <laughs> and eat the food. And I went to Quarter Sheets in Silver Lake, nice. um, which is a very cute uh, restaurant that was born out of a pandemic pop-up. And I went to eat pizza, but mostly to eat Hannah Ziskin's cakes, um, which are made on quarter sheet trays, as is the pizza, uh, hence the name of the restaurant. Yeah, and you wrote about uh, Hannah, you profiled her in Taste for a Monday interview, and you had a great conversation with her. Oh, Emily wrote about Hannah. I just oh, got to that, edit it. Oh, you edited it. That's right. Emily did write that. So, uh, sorry, Emily. Um, but what were your what was your takeaway about the actual physical space? Because I've seen this grow on Instagram. 
It's a cute space. It's um, off Sunset and Silver Lake where there are so many good restaurants around there. Combi is right over there. Yep. Um, and it's it's maybe six tables inside if I had to guess. I sat at the bar and I had good pizza and I had really good cake and I specifically had a princess cake, which I had never had before. Mm. Have you had one? No, I haven't had a princess cake. I, I imagine it being um, full of buttercream. Actually, no, no buttercream. No buttercream in that cake. Wow. Thankfully, because buttercream is not what I would want to eat in a cake form. It's a domed cake. Okay. And it's layers of really fluffy vanilla Genoise sponge, I would assume, but um, maybe a different kind of sponge. But very light cake and then pastry cream and then pastry raspberry cream. jam um, layered up with a big dome of whipped cream at the top. And then the whole thing is covered in blue marzipan. Wow. So let me ask you, do you recall her background, Hannah's? Um, I know that she's been baking House of Gluten is the name of her pop-up. Right, right. Which is a great name for any pop-up, but especially in Los Angeles, I appreciate that she's taking a firm gluten stance. I love it. I'm not sure where else she was baking beforehand, but uh, I think she's definitely refined her craft. This cake was so light and um, Mm. I was like fighting with my friend to get the last slice which (laughs) normally you know I would try to to be generous but it it was the kind of cake that incites um, aggression I would say. So tell me how was the pizza? The pizza was very good it kind of reminded me of Polly G's square slice it's a you know kind of a Detroit style um, quarter sheet pan. Yeah Frico on the sides yeah. Um, What? Frico like the um the cheese, like that, like Detroit style in the pan, that uh-huh. like that crispy cheese. Oh yeah. Um, honestly, I don't rem- I don't recall if that was. Yeah, maybe it wasn't. Okay. It's possible that it was. I think to me, the all of the dairy between the cake and the pizza just kind of like came together in my stomach, and I don't really remember the um, the cheese on the outside. But it was it was very good. I'd recommend it. I uh, got a question about the pairing of the two foods because to me, it's not. Those aren't like common bedfellows because yeah. pizza is so rich in itself, and I'm usually wanting like a little scoop of gelato or, or sorbet. Um, I'm not thinking about a princess cake, but it must have worked in some way. Yeah, it's it's very much like fourth grade birthday party. You know, I think that's <laughs> the last time that I had pizza and cake together, which um, it was really great. And I think especially because the cakes are are relatively light, and some of the other cakes that Hannah does often are very fruit forward. Like it's not a heavy combination, um, and cool. it is kind of nostalgic in that in that way. I enjoyed being back in a fourth grade uh, birthday party. It sounds, and I'm sure she'll do a yellow cake at some time. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, that, that's what I think about when I think of fourth grade birthday. With chocolate frosting. Chocolate frosting and yellow. Um, shout out to the spot in the East Village that does that, that Tex-Mix. Ye- yellow Rose. Yellow Rose. Yeah. Shout out. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't wait to try it. I'm going to try to, I think she might be coming to New York and, and stopping by the Taste Podcast. I hope so. Let's do it, yeah. What's your What's your first thing? My, my first thing is I just got back from a couple weeks in Michigan, and I um, I, I just, I love I love heading back to my hometown. And um, I usually go in like August. And one of the things I like most about August is the apples. The apples arrive really early there. You're laughing at me because I like we're going a little apple crazy here right now. I think it's too early. I'm just going to go on the record and, and say that um, that there's still stone fruit. So I'm, you know, sorry, please continue. No, no, I love the pushback, <laughs> um, the subtle pushback, uh, facial expression and subtle pushback. Because I, uh, I have to say in West Michigan, they come out in like the apples, the early Honeycrisp. There's actually a category called early Honeycrisp. And that 
was so delicious. It was so juicy. And the farmer, the farmhand told me at my favorite spot, Schultz's in Matawan, Michigan. That's like my my spot. One of my two spots, Husted's is the other. Um, they told me because of the dry summer mm. that the the juice is loose, so to speak. It is there. <laughs> it is like spraying out of every bite of these apples. And I got to tell you, the, the apples this year have been incredible. And so I went to a farmer's market in in Warwick, New York, near my home, and I went and like said, "Hey, what's up with your apples?" They're like, "No, nah, we don't have apples yet." So what's up with like it's hmm. yeah? Did you ask why? I did. Um, they said uh, we did not. We do not have them. That's what they, that's <laughs> what they said. That's pretty much what they said. Um, I, I just I think that um, apples in the summertime, the first picks I've been told are the best. This is a really good way to convince me to to loosen my stance on <laughs> not eating apples in, in early September or even August because now I'm wondering what I'm missing by waiting until October to eat the apples. Here's Eliza. What's your next one? Um, my next one is a game that I invented. I was driving <laughs> from Los Angeles all the way up to coastal Oregon with my parents and then once I was in coastal Oregon, I drove back to Portland with my sister. A lot so of cool. time in the car. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was great. We listened to a lot of podcasts. And at a certain point, they just weren't hitting. And we went to a, a <laughs> roadside um, convenience store. And I think I'm a visionary. <laughs> the game is called Which Chex Mix, Mix Item Am I Eating? And you listen to the crunches and tell me. Which one? Okay, qu- first question. Can you remind listeners of the what's in the Chex Mix bag exactly? What are the possible crunches? Pat, I'm going to eat these on air. I hope you're not going to be offended. I will not be offended. Okay, well. I can't vouch for the audience. Here we go. It's a food, food real, uh, podcast, real food. so people like hearing it. It'll be fine. I don't know if you can hear. This is like ASMR podcast. Yeah. We're getting there. Okay. Um, I don't know the names of any of them. There's like the two different kinds of checks. One of them is light brown. The other <laughs> one is dark brown. Oh, I'm team dark brown checks. There's the kind of like rye crisps. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, those are great. Those remind me of like 1975. Yeah. Not that I know about 1975, but you know, it's like the era of 1975. Like that's it. They actually sell versions that are just the rye crisps, <laughs> um, which I've had before. Uh, but then there's also two different shapes of pretzels. There's the kind of grid window kind and the circle kind. Okay. Um, and then there's one like little mini breadstick. Is the grid a pretzel grid? Yes. And I did make my sister guess if I was eating a window <laughs> grid or a circle. But that's the kind of thing I think I can do to um, to my sister and not to my editor. So I won't I won't make you try to Let's guess. Let's do one. Okay. Just one. And I'll try to guess. I I really think two is better because okay. then you can distinguish right, between we'll, the crunches we'll in your two. head. But we'll two. Okay. we can just pretend right, there's. We'll do two. We'll do two. Okay, one second. I'm trying to, it's like, which one do you throw first for rock, paper, scissors, you know? I'm always paper. I was talking to my my eight-year-old nephew about that strategy for about an hour. Okay, close your eyes. Yeah. Okay, here's number one. Definitely, um, that's (laughs) definitely the uh, pumpernickel. Okay, do you want to wait until you hear the second one? Yeah, yeah, let me hear the second one. This is the second one. Okay, so first one was pumpernickel, second one was dark checks. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> Choking them down. The first one was the light checks. Oh. And then the second one was a circle pretzel. Wow, you went for the window circle pretzel, the grid. But I would have accepted any pretzel. God, I am bad at that game. Well, uh, is your sister good? Did she, did she end up? 
getting. I don't mean to, to brag, but I was definitely You're the best, I would say. But maybe that's the advantage you get from creating the great the game is you make something <laughs> yeah. that you would like. But I, I would recommend if you were ever on a long road trip and, and you just need to do something wacky, which Chex Mix item are, am I eating is a game that will endear you to your car companions. It's like Othello, a, a, like a second to learn a, a lifetime to master. It's exactly <laughs> like the game of Othello. Yeah, we'll play it again. <laughs> we'll play it again. Okay. What's your second one? All right. My second one is I'm deep in recipe development for Korea World. We've talked about it. I'm doing the book I'm doing with Dookie Hong. And we are now at the phase where we're talking about Samgyetang roasted chicken. Have you ever heard of Samgyetang? Mm. This dish? No. This soup? Okay. So Samgyetang is a, is a tang. It's a soup uh, of a stuffed uh, young chicken with glutinous rice, ginseng, jujubes, scallions it's it's a mm. soup um but in seoul um specifically the restaurant hanbang tundak uh in hanam we found this place that did full roasted version so it's basically roasted chicken or it's a soup in roasted chicken form not inside the roast chicken there's no liquid it's the flavors of oh. the soup in roast chicken form got me thinking so th- th- that's not my my thing. That's just more like <laughs> what's in my mind right now. My thing is this. What if we thought about Koreans, Korea's foundational chigays and tongues and thought about them in terms of other things? Like, for example, a kimchi chigay hamburger. Ooh. Right? Into that. What about kalbi tongue, which is like a short rib soup? Mm-hmm. Let's put that into a fried rice or just do a kalbi fried rice. Those are my two examples. I, I don't know if you're following this thread, but I, I feel like this could be a thing that mutates and finds its way into a restaurant menu somewhere in the States. Yeah, I'm curious if you've seen any restaurants or chefs that are kind of thinking about, um, you know, taking a familiar format of a dish and then doing something different with it like this. Uh, like the McTorta? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we joke. That's the article that you wrote a few a few months ago, a month ago. Yeah, um, it's just a thought. I feel like... Um, Taking liquid and making it into solid is a cool thing. Yeah, I think it's it's almost like, um, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but when I make a stew and I have leftovers, I always end up having like not that much broth compared to everything yep. else. And it's a second um, eating experience the next day, but it's it's a good one. It's really good. You put it on rice, you put it in like some kind of other starch. Yes. Super good. What's your last one? My last one is I was... Um, in a dark place yesterday, oh, yeah. which is Soho during Fashion Week, <laughs> starving, trying to find something to eat. And I went to Zuba. Have you been there before? No. Wow. Zuba. Z-O-O-B-A? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's an Egyptian fast casual place that is popular in Egypt. And they have, I think, one location in the United States, and it is in New York City in Soho. Oh, cool. And I got a spicy falafel wrap, um, which was very good. It had like harissa cauliflower, it had falafel in it, a cucumber tomato salad. Um, but beyond that, it was just really interesting to be in the restaurant. It's like very clearly a gathering place for Egyptian people in the city and people like from that region in general. And I was yeah. just eavesdropping as people were talking about coming back from visiting their family. And it was just like, if you're going to have fast casual food, everything about the vibe was just um, like the opposite of the like uh, bland, mm-hmm. um, you know, like 
what's the word I'm looking for? Like Production fr- line. Fresh and Co. Yes. Yeah, exactly. There <laughs> Not was, a sponsor of the Tiz podcast. <laughs> there was um, no minimalism. There was right. maximalism yeah. aesthetically and flavor wise. And it was um, it was what I needed it to be. So do you think this is like a, a chain or a chainlet that's somewhere in Egypt or that's opened in, in New York? Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. Cool. And I actually um, I met somebody who's whose family does it actually, which awesome. is like a funny connection, but um, not sponsored, just just what I needed to eat last None night. None of these three things are sponsored until you actually sponsor them and then they will be sponsored. Just saying. Yeah, checks mix. <laughs> Get at me. Um, was there a fool on the menu? Um, there was not that I saw, yeah. but again, this was like laser focused on my goal of eating as quickly as possible because everyone around me was being paparazzi photographed. Yeah, what were you doing? Um, like APC event? Was there a show? I wish. I, I had a doctor's appointment in Soho and I forgot that Fashion Week was happening. And yeah. then I got up out of the subway and realized my mistake. But um, if you've never been to New York City during Fashion Week, there's just a lot of like very beautiful and practically dressed people taking up <laughs> all of the sidewalk space, mm-hmm. um, which is fun to watch when you don't have somewhere to be. Somewhere but, to be, yeah. clogging up the streets. Yep. Yeah. What's your third thing? My last one is short. You mentioned how you were getting bored with podcasts, but you are a podcast person. Hashtag <laughs> podcast guy. Um, that's not a hashtag, but just made <laughs> that up. Um, Sam Sanders has a new podcast, and um, I love it because – I wasn't really a Sam Sam Sanders fan. He used to be at uh, at, at NPR, mm. um, and I was like, I don't know why, I just like wasn't in my feed. But into it is the new podcast he does with uh, New York Magazine. Cool, and it's really good. I highly recommend it. It's high concept at times, but he like he did a segment about a twenty four, which I was like, that's so well timed because it's like. Why, like he didn't just sorry. Let me back up. He didn't just do it about a twenty four. He did it about like a twenty four merch, mm. which was really like a super super niche genre and interest of mine. Yeah, it's funny because um, I don't know if they have like an article component, but I did see an a twenty four article on New York Magazine about. Um, did you say New York Times and New York Magazine? New York Mag, yeah, Vulture. Yeah, um, about like the brand of A24 and that like these days, which is true. You know, I went to go see Bodies, 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 yeah. which is an A24 movie that just came out. And that is the first way that I explained it to somebody went when I went to go see it. Because I knew that if you've seen Euphoria or Hereditary or some of their other movies, yeah. that it's kind of like a flag you can wave so that someone knows there's a specific aesthetic or mentality behind it. It's super premium. Um, the merch, they do zines, which is interesting. Anyways, back Back to Sam Sanders. I love what he talks about. And also, I want to, like, toss to Pat Stango right here. Pat Stango does one of my favorite podcasts about box office numbers and totals. Oh, the B.O. Boys. Yeah, the B.O. Boys. So I can't, like, let it pass. What are your other favorite podcasts about box office? (laughs) No, the the taste podcast when you jump on it. That's my favorite Pat Stango podcast. No, like, let's talk about your – this is we didn't plan this, but your your snap thought about A24 because I feel like you've got some thoughts on A24. I mean, they're great, and I I think you nailed it. It's – they just have a feel to them that that is how you explain what the movie is. Uh, that it's an A24, it's young, it's cool, makes people like me feel young and cool for going to see them. Uh, and that's that's what you want to give, that's all consumers want, is they want to feel young and cool, and A24 does that. They package it well. They they have, like, um, a really strong hat slash bag game, like mm-hmm. sack game. Yeah, and, and right? they, they, they change up their logo for every movie. And people love that. They do. That's right. That's yeah. I never really realized that they actually have a custom custom logos. Hmm. 
So well, someone someone's getting a lot of work out of customizing that logo for every new trailer. Now I just want to talk about A24 because um, I do <laughs> feel like a lot of the movies are this are this brand, but not all of them. Like Parasite, that was A24. Right, released through A twenty four, correct? That Pat? was Neon. Oh, it was Neon. Oh, okay. Which, which is which is like A twenty four light. They're like the yeah. little less cool brother. So out of my depth here, I got to ask you one more question: Is horror back? I oh, feel- horror! Oh, here, let me give you my one thing. <laughs> I'll give you one thing. There's no food in this, but people they'll like it anyway. Barbarian. That's what I'm saying. Barbarian, yeah. Barbarian. I saw it the other night. It's great. Don't ask me anything about it because if I tell you anything, you'll like it less when you see it. So just go <laughs> see in a theater. Barbarian. Horror is back. Here's the food connection. Would you feel comfortable snacking on popcorn while watching Barbarian? Or is it <laughs> that scary that your your hunger for popcorn is gone? I think no. I think it's you have popcorn because then it'll give you something to like toss when you get scared <laughs> to really emphasize just how scary how it scary was. it is. And you 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 recommend the 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 movie theater experience? Oh, you got to see it with a crowd. Yeah, don't watch this at home. Go out. I mean, listen. Obviously, health concerns, all that, you know. But if you can see it in a theater, I just got invited to something about this new chef movie that's coming out. Speaking of horror. Is it the menu? The menu, exactly. Oh, I saw the trailer for that the other day. It looks great. It looks not great. It looks not great. <laughs> I'm just going to say it looks not You're great. You're wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just saying my, my instinct is that putting like a suspense inside a restaurant. I mean, they didn't know. It hits too close to home for you. <laughs> yeah, restaurants are already suspenseful. I know. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to see, you know people uh, doing most dangerous game in a restaurant setting. It, it, that's what it feels like the, the most dangerous. If, it feels like the, yeah, there's like um, there's hunting of humans mm-hmm. after like the, the first course after the the yeah the amuse-bouche. Oh. It's like two people die after the amuse-bouche or something. Okay, I gotta go pit. watch this trailer. It's kind of squid gamey mm-hmm. in that vibe. Pat, are we gonna yeah. do a fall movie preview or a, a holiday movie preview? On- well, on the Bo Boys, that's actually coming up. It's probably in your feed right now. Okay. By the time it's airs, I didn't expect to get such a uh, great promo spot for the Bo Boys here on Taste. But I love the crossover. I'll I'll name drop Taste on our appreciate next it. Thanks but for yeah, the- fall movie fall movie preview episode is up already. Nah, Bo, Bo Boys is a great podcast. I mean, I, I don't follow Hollywood that closely, but it's a great snapshot. Sam Sanders, Into It, great podcast. Eliza Barbanel, great co-host of the Taste Podcast. It's been great talking with you. I have a lot of go like movie trailers to go look at. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> the Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumber. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.